wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. You can follow Bleeding Daylight wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Please share episodes with your friends and make sure you connect with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. If you're someone who believes there is a God, where do you find him? Is it in the big moments or within the silence or the small things? Today's guest is committed to seeing God in the everyday and to helping others to see him there too. There's a story in the Old Testament of the Bible that talks about a prophet who escapes to the desert because he feels threatened. He feels pretty sorry for himself and even wishes that he could die. He calls on God and God brings a massive wind that breaks rocks apart and then an earthquake and then a fire. And each time it says that the Lord was not in the wind, the Lord was not in the earthquake, the Lord was not in the fire. What finally got Elijah's attention was God speaking in what's described as a low whisper. And today's guest spends a lot of time asking the question, where did you see God? His name is Paul Granger, and it's an honour to have him joining me on Bleeding Daylight. Paul, thank you for your time. Yeah, it's great to be here, and I appreciate you making the space to just have a conversation. We do tend to look for God in the spectacular, don't we? How often do you think we miss that low whisper? A lot of people like to say that God is all around us, that God is always present. God is omnipresent, right? And so if that's true, if communication isn't just loud vocal (laughs) words, but can be in a lot of ways, that stands to reason that we're probably missing God a lot. A lot of times, because we're looking for those big things, we might miss the subtle things. And, And that's one thing that I've noticed throughout my life is so often... I have had a very specific thing in mind that I've wanted God to tell me or to fix. And my mind is waiting so much to hear specifically from him about that, that he may be saying so much to me that I miss it. So I feel like we're missing a lot. I feel like there are so many opportunities to to experience here, see God that just go right by us because we're looking for something different. In Elijah's case, he finds the God of comfort in a really tough time. Have you walked through difficult times like that and suddenly discovered, hey, God's been there all along? There's one specific moment that comes to my mind that was actually a part of easily the hardest three years of my life. I felt like I was getting hit on multiple fronts. I was actually working for a ministry and you you would think that a ministry would be a really healthy and encouraging and family-oriented work environment. I came to realize that, you know, we're all broken people trying to function in a broken world. And so brokenness can work its way into even the spaces you wouldn't think it would. One of the hardest things about being in a pit situation, whether it's a work situation, a relationship situation, just a internal situation is, is a lot of times you feel alone in the pit. And I feel like that was what actually made my work situation so hard. I was doing ministry work. And so anybody who's done ministry work knows that it's not just about the work you do, but there is a spiritual component that can bring an extra level of weight or challenge or to the point, God is inviting us to trust him in it and not just do our own things and do projects. It was this space that became a deeper and deeper 
pit around me, even though I was working with friends, with church members, with neighbors, even though I had a network of people around me, it felt as though nobody really understood what I was going through. That when I would try to explain it, it wouldn't make sense to them, or they would question uh, my perception of it. I did have three core people in my circle that mostly understood, but there was a period of time where even they couldn't fully see it. One of them was a, a pastor of mine, and he has been a spiritual father of mine since 2007. He has walked with me through some really hard things, and he was walking with me through this. What was so beautiful about that relationship and what's so beautiful about him is he understands that there are things happening on a human level, on a worldly level, and then there's this spiritual level. And we hit this one particular moment that I had to make a decision where I stayed or where I left. There was a kind of an ultimatum place before me uh, by my boss. Throughout this journey, I'd been praying, God, should I stay or should I go? And God kept inviting me to stay. And in this particular moment, my spiritual father, uh, Don, looked at me and said, Paul, 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 don't worry about any of that other stuff. What is your boss God telling you to do? You work for God. So what is your boss God telling you to do? And I sat for a second and I, with resistance, <laughs> said, I feel like he's telling me to stay. And then immediately went into all the reasons that wouldn't be a good decision. Although I, I would have gone into that had he not stopped me. And he said, no, 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 don't worry about any of that. If your boss God is telling you to stay, then he's going to work out those details. We can feel alone, but if we believe, as I said at the start, that God is present, that he is all around us, why is it that we so often believe that that doesn't apply to our pit moments? Why is it in our hardest moments, we are so convinced that we are utterly alone? As I hit this pivotal moment, there's something that broke where suddenly I didn't need to attach my identity to my job. I didn't need to attach my identity to what I would do. Uh, I didn't need to attach my identity to what others gave me. My identity was who God said I was. And what I was supposed to do is whatever he was inviting me to do. Up until that point, I felt like the only way things would get better is if my boss understood me or if my boss recognized that these things he was accusing me of weren't actually true. And here's the objective proof. And now he can move forward. Or if the scope of my job adjusted, or if I got a team around me, or, you know, I, I had this list of if these things happen, then I don't have to worry anymore. Then I don't have to hurt anymore. Then I don't have to be in the pit anymore. And I would just claw at the walls of the pit trying to make things happen. I would beat on the walls of the pit trying to move these things forward and they wouldn't budge at all. But when I had this moment of realizing I don't need to wait for these things to be fixed to experience God, I don't need to get out of this pit to experience God, it was like my eyes started to adjust to the darkness around me. We've all experienced this before, right? Where we're in a, an incredibly dark space that we cannot see a thing. But there comes a point five, 10 minutes later where suddenly our eyes have adjusted enough and we realize, oh, it's actually not pitch dark in here. There was actually light in here the entire time. But in the immediate moment, I felt like it was utter darkness. And so as my eyes adjusted, it was like I was in this pit and looking around. And, and the first thing I saw was the walls that I had been beating on and clawing at. And there's these deep claw marks in the wall, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at it and I realized how futile those efforts were. Clawing at the wall, beating at the wall was never going to get me out of the pit. 
But the second thing I noticed was the important thing. I, it was like in my mind, I turned and I looked and there was Jesus just sitting on the floor of the pit. And I had this sense that the entire time I was in this pit situation at work, I felt alone when in reality, God was sitting in the pit with me. Not only was Jesus with me the entire time and I didn't recognize it, but the entire time I was trying to claw my way away from him. I was trying to get out of this pit that, that I was actually being invited to sit with God in. And that realization was so powerful for me because it, it broke this notion that the only way we can be happy is if the hard situations are gone. Sometimes the place where we can find full life is in the last place that we would expect it. It's in the bottom of the deepest, darkest pits. Because wherever God is, <laughs> that's where full life is. And if God's inviting us into a space, doesn't matter how hard it is, he knows how to do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. And that realization changed everything because my pursuit shifted from needing to fix my job or need, needing to fix perceptions of me to needing to have faith that it was enough for God to be God and God to be good, to needing to learn to have faith that whatever God's inviting me to, he was going to carry me through. That's an interesting concept when we get hold of it, because so often we want the answer in the way that we want it. And when it isn't delivered in that way, we don't see God there. Yet the fact is that he's been there all along. Do you think that gets in the way of people's perception of who God is a lot of the time? They figure he doesn't answer prayer in the way they expect and therefore he mustn't exist. A lot of the times, the things that we're asking aren't bad things. They aren't unreasonable things. They aren't ungodly things. And so in our minds, we look at what we're asking and we're like, surely, God, this is a good thing for you to answer. Surely, God, this is a good thing for you to do. The Apostle Paul you know, talks about this thorn in his flesh, and he prays that God would take it away. And then God doesn't do it. <laughs> He prays again, and then God doesn't do it. And he prays again, and God doesn't do it. You know, as he's praying, I imagine the Apostle Paul had this sense that this is a, a thing that is keeping me from being able to serve God to the full extent that I could serve him. So the full efficiency, or the full weight, or the full power. And I need this thing to go so I can be a better servant of God, right? That, that's a good thing. But God didn't change that for him. And instead, what God said is that my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul realized that the end goal wasn't that God would take away all obstacles so that, you know, the Apostle Paul could then just serve him without any tension, without any, you know, friction. No, 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 no. God can do what he wants to do as far as reaching the world. But God was trying to do something powerful in the Apostle Paul as well, especially because he knew that if the Apostle Paul moved forward in any kind of way that wasn't fully God's, he could end up leading people astray. And so that's what he says. You know, the Apostle Paul realizes that part of the reason that that thorn wasn't removed is because it kept him from becoming conceited. He had spent his whole life working towards being the best of the best. And even though he willingly let that go, that part of his humanity was still in there. And God had given him a way to not just continue to be healed from that, but to be protected from it. And so in our lives, we will pray for things that we know are good things. 
that are protecting us from bad things, that if God answered this prayer, he would be glorified tremendously. And meanwhile, God's looking, he's like, I understand why you believe that. I understand why you think that is the best case scenario, but I am actually trying to do something abundantly more than your comfort or your employment or your health or your relationships. I'm trying to do something abundantly more. And in order to do that, I can't answer the prayers in the way that you think I should, but that doesn't mean I don't hear you. And it doesn't mean that I'm not answering. It means that I'm doing abundantly more. And one day you will understand. Jesus says in uh, during the Last Supper in John 13, I think it's verse seven, what I'm doing now you do not understand, but one day you will. And I feel like that's something we need to hold on to. That verse, when we are praying and when it seems like God's not answering, is it maybe that God's saying, look, I know that right now you don't understand what I'm doing, but one day you will because I love you, because I know you deeper than you know yourself, and I know the world around you. And I am trying to do, again, something abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. As long as we're holding our notion of who God is, of what his goodness is, uh, of what he can do to whether or not he answers prayers, we're always going to have a limited scope of who God is. But the moments that we're willing to step in faith towards something that we don't understand, that doesn't make sense, but aligns with what we have decided is God's character, that he is God and he is good, Well, that's when we begin to see more and more who God actually is. This incomprehensible God suddenly becomes a little more comprehensible, a little more comprehensible. But it takes those steps of faith and it takes being willing to not have our prayers answered because we believe that if God doesn't answer them, he must know something we don't. I mentioned in the introduction that you spend a lot of time asking the question, where did you see God? And you're doing that through a podcast. You're doing that through your writings. Tell me a bit about that question and what prompted you to spend so much time on that one question? So that question comes from a staff meeting at a ministry back in either 2006 or 2007. We were all working for this ministry, so we're all trying to seek God in our lives, in the work that we're doing, we're serving others. And so during the staff meeting, the executive director felt this nudge to ask us a question. Where did you see God today? And as you know, good God-following Christians, that should have been a very easy question. But I remember feeling like that was the hardest question in the world because I had no answer. And he was going around the table and he got to me and I'm floundering in my mind, trying to come up with some answer to this very simple question of where did I see God today? And you know, I had done some tutoring with the kids and one of the kids had done his homework who normally didn't do his homework. And so that's what I shared. Yeah, this kid who never does his homework, he did his homework. And you know, I really felt like I saw God in that. And the executive director very wisely paused for a second and then said, why? And I didn't have an answer to that one. <laughs> why did I see God in that? I don't know. I was just trying to answer the question. But he kept asking this question at, at subsequent staff meetings. And at some point I wised up and realized I can't go into these meetings blind. But I also realized that I needed to take a moment to step back and say, if I believe that God is present and active, if I believe that he is working, why in the world do I not have any answer to this question? If all those things I believe are true, shouldn't I have an answer at any given moment? 
shouldn't I be ready to give an answer, ready to give an account? And, and so I decided if I believe that God is present and active, maybe I, instead of looking for that on the back end, I need to look at it on the front end. I need to be proactive in looking for God. And so I started doing that at first so that I could have an answer <laughs> to the executive director's question, but, but really, and more because this is a, a rhythm of life that I needed to cultivate if I really wanted to learn more and more of who God is. And so I started doing that. I started starting the day saying, all right, I believe that God is going to be present and active today, so I'm going to look for it. And what I found is that that verse that we all know is true, that, that when you seek, you will find. That as I began seeking for God more, I began finding him. I didn't always find him in the places that I thought I would find him or in the ways that I would find him or in the character that I would find him. But I would find him. I would begin to realize that some of my notions of where I should find him or how I should find him might not be entirely accurate to, to fullness of who he actually is. It's a really simple question, but if we say that we are seeking God, but we don't do that, then we might not actually be seeking God. But the good news is it's a very simple step that we can take in any given moment on any given day. We just simply say, all right, where could I see God today? Where did I see God throughout the day today? Where, where do I hope to see God? These small questions become ways to open our eyes and open our minds to the reality that God actually does exist. I reckon as you start to find God in the various places that you find him, it does start to become easier to spot him again. When we buy a new car, for instance, we suddenly see everyone else on the road is driving that same model of car. They were there all along, but we're suddenly open to perceiving that reality. Is that your experience? Have you started to see God in more and more places because you've made yourself aware of him? Yes and no. And that seems like a strange thing to say, but let me explain. Yes, in the sense that I love that analogy, that you're absolutely right. If you drive a Honda Civic, then you will see Honda Civics everywhere. When you experience God in a certain way, you begin to see God working in that way in other spaces and other people in other spheres. The reason I said no is because there is a danger that we can begin to limit God. We begin to look for God only in those ways that we have experienced him. But if God is bigger than our understanding, if he is incomprehensible, that means there are always going to be points where he exists in ways that we don't understand. So if we're only looking for him to work in the ways that we've experienced him working, we may, may not look for him to work in ways that we haven't experienced. The deeper thing is there are elements of his character and who he is that he wants us to know, but that he knows in our spiritual infancy that we cannot handle yet. I've experienced this in when I would see God work through a hard situation and I would feel some peace and joy. Yay, God got me through that thing. I would see this happen when another hard situation would hit and I would feel like, God, what have you done? I thought we had fixed this situation. I thought we had solved this. I thought we have moved past this. I thought I had proven myself enough to you, God, that I was seeking you. So now hard things shouldn't happen anymore. And meanwhile, God is looking at us and it's like he's saying, yes, but I want you to understand me a little deeper. And so we're going to have to go into some scarier places or some harder places or some new places, places that you wouldn't have chosen to go that you might not even seen. But I want to shepherd you through those because I want you to know me more deeply. 
you know, as we go, we, we can get to the point like the Apostle Paul got to, where towards the end of his life, he's saying, I've learned the secret to being content in all situations. And he's saying this after having experienced things that most of us not only have never experienced, but will never experience being, you know, flogged, whipped, left for dead, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned. And yet he is saying, I've learned the secret to being content in all situations. What I believe happened is that God kept bringing him to these moments of he hit a wall and God's like, yeah, that's because I'm about to take you into a whole nother level of what it means to know who I am and who I've created you to be. And then Paul hits another one and another one until he gets to the point where he realizes the secret to being content in all situations is realizing that the situations don't actually matter. That not only is it that it doesn't matter how good or how hard things are, it's that the situations themselves are not circumstantial to who God is and who he is calling us to be. That absolutely anything can happen and God is still God and God is still good. Absolutely anything can happen and we can still love him and love others. And this is the thing is God wants us to see that he is bigger than we will ever understand. And in order to do that, he has to very patiently walk us through these different moments in our lives where we have to realize our own resistance to that because we want to be comfortable. We want to be safe. We want to have a good job. We want to have good relationships. And God's like, but I want you to know me. And when you know me, you will know all those other things to a deeper extent than you will ever grasp. By nature, we do want to seek patterns. We we do want to see a way of knowing that this is how it happened before. This is how it's going to happen next time. We even see through the New Testament as Jesus heals people, which is one of the central planks of what we see him doing in the New Testament. There's a woman who just touches the edge of his robe and she's healed. There's another time when he spits to make mud, puts that on someone's eyes and tells them to go wash And then they're healed. And then there are other times where he just says, go home. I've already healed that person. So there's all these different ways. There's not a a method that we can follow. There's not a similarity between these healings. So if that's the case, if that is the way that God works, a different way almost every time, how do we start to cultivate this idea of seeking God in our everyday if we don't know where to expect him? It's a hard one. And it's a hard one because the answer is you just take the next best step. You know, I love the story of Peter walking on the water because I think it demonstrates this idea well. He stood on the edge of the boat and looked out and saw Jesus on the waves. And what he immediately thought about was everything he had experienced with Jesus, everything he had seen Jesus do, everything he had learned from Jesus. And, and he's looking out at Jesus and something in him wants to be with Jesus. His humanity is saying, but there is an expanse of water between you and Jesus. And there are deadly waves between you and Jesus. But, but in that singular moment, Peter's desire to be with Jesus was enough for him to take a step of faith, a wild, a, a stupid, foolish step of faith into what as a fisherman, he knew should have been guaranteed death. His desire to be with Jesus was enough to step in because he had everything he had experienced before, 
that led him to believe that if Jesus says to come, then somehow I will be able to get to him. But what do we see happen? He steps out and he does begin to walk on the ways. He begins to do something that doesn't make sense. He begins to be able to take these steps that he couldn't see him taking the day before or any other time in his life. But the other thing we see is that not only did he have an experience with Jesus, he had an experience with life. He had an experience with waves. He probably lost friends to the waves. And that experience started to guide his thoughts a little more and a little more and a little more than his understanding of Jesus. He began to look at the waves and and think to himself, oh my gosh, these waves are taller than me and I'm going to die. I'm absolutely going to die because it is impossible for a man to walk on the water and it is impossible to survive a storm like this, right? His, His mentality tells him what he knows to be true and he begins to sink. The wildest part of all of this is even though his mind had told him that it was impossible to survive standing on the water in the midst of the waves, like he forgot the reality that he was literally doing it at the moment he was doubting it. He was literally walking on the waves, doing something that was utterly impossible. That answer, how do we seek God? How do we look for God when It seems like he keeps changing up (laughs) where he is or how he works or what he's doing, or it seems like he's not showing up in the ways that he used to. Well, the answer is the same that it could have been for Peter is to just take another step because at some point in his mind, he decided to not step anymore. If he had taken another step, he would, his foot would have landed and then he could have taken another and another and another until he was standing beside Jesus and Man, that, that story could have been very different. The, the story could have been that he got all the way to Jesus, turned around with like utter awe and amazement in his eyes. And then suddenly the rest of the disciples abandoned the boat and they all ran over to Jesus and they're just walking on the water. What Jesus wanted for Peter in that moment was to learn how to take a step, how to fail because of our own thoughts and how to still be loved other, regardless of what happens. Because When Peter sinks down, the next thing we see is Jesus reach out and pull him up. Jesus knows that we're going to misstep. Jesus knows that we're going to sink. Jesus knows that we're going to sink down into a pit and believe that we are alone and that we're going to scratch at the walls trying to futilely find some way out. He knows all this. He knows us deeper than we know ourselves, and he loves us more deeply than we could ever comprehend. And instead of wanting to teach Peter how to walk on the water, what he wanted to do was set Peter on a longer journey of walking that led him to continue to experience great things to Jesus, with Jesus, that led him to a point where he actually denied Jesus, that led him to a point where he affirmed his love for Jesus, that led him to a point where he waited patiently for this mysterious helper to come. And then the Spirit does come, and it led Peter to a point of leading this new body of people who were seeking to live as Christ lived. And it led him to so many other things. It was, it was bigger than walking in the midst of waves. You know, and that's our invitation too. God's not just inviting us to learn how to take the next step in our current hard situation. God is inviting us to know that he is taking us on this greater journey, this journey towards full life, this journey towards abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. 
But it all starts with a willingness to take the next step, even if that step is onto water that cannot hold our weight, that is storming around us, that we are foolish enough to say, and yet I will step. It's been noted that the idea of success in the Christian life is very different to what the rest of the world is saying is success. And yet so many Christians just seek after the same things that everyone else is seeking after. We want the great job, the perfect family, the nice house, and all the appearances of so-called success. Why do you think we've twisted what success should be? I think it's for a few reasons. Uh, One, culturally, there are clearly defined uh, metrics for success. You know, we, we talk about climbing the ladder. Success is having a higher level job. And if you have a low-level job, then you're failing. But what if somebody has a very simple, basic job that they love and they feel like God's working through? Is that not success because it's not the CEO of a company, right? So we have these culturally defined things. But the other thing that we could say is we actually can switch it around and reframe it because we also have definitions of what failure is. And tied to that is our desire to not be a failure. Like some of us can be content with less success. We can be content with not having to be the best, not having to be the top. But most of us don't want to be seen as failures. And so we have these metrics for what failing looks like. If you're not producing a certain amount, if you're not respected a certain amount, if you're not... And we want to avoid that at all costs. And so the way that we avoid that is we seek out (laughs) the thing that is the opposite of that, which is comfort, security, reputation, right? Like sometimes it's less that we're trying to be the best and more that we're trying to avoid being the worst. But what's so wild for a Christian to do that is that it doesn't match with the character of Christ. Philippians 2 paints this picture of Jesus as, someone who came from God and was God and had utter power and authority and who chose to forego all that and take the form of a low servant and serve even to the point of death. So he captured the top 10 list of evidence of failure, (laughs) right? He was a lowly servant. He was killed. His reputation was questioned. All these things that he willingly stepped into Because what Jesus knew is that what the world defines is success may not be the case in God's mind. The first will be last, right? That God chooses the weak and the lowly. Jesus demonstrated that there is this other reality than what we see, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man and the wisdom of man is foolishness to God, that there there is this reality that we are being invited to live in while we are still living in this world, that functions in a different way, that can allow someone to actually be successful from God's viewpoint while they're, like Paul, sitting in a prison cell, having been insulted and whipped and flogged and shipwrecked and disrespected. God looked at Paul and he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. While the world looked at Paul and said, he had such a good run He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, a zealot, blameless unto the law. Like he was doing so well. He was so successful and he foolishly threw it all away. And look what happened. 
look how people are treating him now. But Paul's content because he's like, I, I get why you think I'm a failure, but I know who God is and I know who he's made me to be. And I'm content because I am where God wants me to be. Paul, I'm sure that there are people listening who are interested to find out more about this upside down world that you've been talking about, where success is very, very different to what we've been led to believe that it is. If people want to get in touch with you to read your writings, to listen to your podcast, where is the easiest place for them to go? The absolute easiest place is our website, which is www.wheredidyouseegod.com. And from there, you can access the writings, um, the podcasts, some videos. Uh, You can get in touch with me. And I'm always happy to connect with people. I'm always happy to share through writings, through podcasts, what I feel like God's sharing with me. I am just one of many ways that God is choosing to speak and choosing to work. Your podcast is another, but I believe that God has designed us uh, for two things, and we see it in scripture, to love God and to love others. What that implies is two other things, that we were designed to exist in God's presence, and we were also designed to exist in the presence of others, or put another way, in community. I imagine there are many of you listening that may feel alone, may feel like you don't have a strong community. And the thing I want to encourage you with is that God sees you and that he desires community for you. Now, there may be seasons where he invites you to walk into a space where you are practically, functionally, literally alone. We see that in scripture where God invited folks to walk in solitude with just God. Those are our short-term periods of time. And God will provide in that. That scripture shows that as well. But outside of that, there may be people that you have around you or that God may bring about you if you are willing to seek them out that can walk with you through this, what we're talking about of how to seek God when it's hard to seek him, how to dive more and more into this upside down kingdom of God. A very simple way you can move towards that is is just to pray. It's just to say, all right, God, I feel like you have designed me to not just walk this journey with you, but to walk this journey with others. And I would like to walk with others. So if there is someone that you want me to walk with, help me to see them. And then just wait and see what God does. See who God brings around you. You know, this isn't a a magic spell that suddenly produces a person. Sometimes that prayer, like we talked about earlier, isn't answered in the way that we had hoped or in the timing that we had wanted. But God hears our prayers. And if you are desiring people to journey with you, I really believe that God can provide that. And in the meantime, we just take the next step that we can. Paul, it's been great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time today on Bleeding Daylight. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.